A friend of mine called me a while back and said, Jim, I know you've been studying prayer. Um, have you looked at the difference between praying and crying out to God? Which I hadn't. And there's a great difference between prayer and crying out to God. Often in Scripture, it said, I will lift my prayer unto you, but my cry will come into your ears. And so I went through the Bible, and especially the Psalms, and I marked all the prayers and crying out that were in the same verse. Obviously, it's not the same thing. And um, I don't know if the books came. We ordered the books, crying out to God. And they're supposed to be here. But I also got a call from a secretary who is a dear, dear friend and supports me personally and said, um, this friend of mine wanted the telephone number, if I could give them, of um, Pat Boone. And I said, um, I'll see what I could do to try and find it for you. Because I had heard that Pat Boone's grandson had fallen through something and was in a coma. Do you remember that? It was on TV, I guess. And was in a coma and really troubled. So my friend, who would be, you know, probably the opposite of Pat Boone, theologically in a lot of ways, was so burdened for Pat Boone's grandson, he called Pat Boone on the phone and said, you understand what it means to cry out to God. And he explained from the scriptures what crying out to God was all about. And it's always allowed. And it's always in a crisis. And Pat Boone believed the direction he was given. And he cried out for his grandson who was in a coma. And he woke up and asked for something to eat. Um, I believe in the power of prayer, even sometimes when I pray and I don't believe it. I'm gonna, I wasn't going to share this with you, but I really feel led to. Last Monday, I found out something that happened many years ago when I was in Africa. I didn't know what took place, or I remember the situation, but there was a man, an African man that came to me who was blind, and he said, I know that my blindness is a result of being cursed. And do you know how to break curses? Well, thank God I did. And material I've used all over the world. And we went to that material, and we broke the curse that was on this man. And I left, and that was, I can't even remember the last one, the last time I was in Africa. I just heard Monday, um, I called where the mission I used to work with, and they said, you know, your name came up last night. I said, positive or negative? <laughs> and they said, well, it was really positive that an African came up to the director, the world director of uh, ministries all overseas in the 160 countries that we were working in, and said, if you ever meet Jim Logan, tell him when he prayed for me, my sight came back. So I'm going to ask you to do something very, very different. Maybe you're, not un maybe you're uncomfortable. I'm asking you to be uncomfortable and do it. My wife had four surgeries this last year. She had one just last Monday, not this Monday, but the Monday before. She told me to be sure and bring my beeper in case she needed me. Uh, she did not sleep well last night. She's in a lot of pain, but what is really frightening to her, she has a pain in her head that they absolutely cannot find the reason. And it's like someone's hitting her in the head with a hammer. She was afraid to have surgery for fear she'd have a stroke. You know, is this the beginning of a stroke or whatever? So I'm going to ask you to do something that, that uh, they do at Jim Symbolist Church and that everybody cries out to God. I would like you to ask you if you would cry out to God for my wife. I'm not going to lead you, but right now, every one of you, would you do that for us? Would you just cry out to God that God would work in her life? And whatever this is, the pain from the operation is nothing like when I left her this morning with the pain going on in her mind and her head. It's so painful, and they can find no reason. And I prayed against the enemy, but, well, I'll tell you, if your heart's not right with God, don't pray for her, okay? But if your heart is right with God, would you cry out to God for my wife? Marguerite.
I was going to read this verse before we pray, but I guess it's good to read it after. I call, call upon me, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Thank you. I came to ICBC, as Dan said about, it'll be 13 full years, start the 14th year in September. When I came, I did the Israeli thing, and that is I did the leeks, onion, and garlic routine. I'm sitting in an office not bigger than a closet, left a ministry that works in every state in the United States, every country in Canada, 160 countries of the world, sitting there waiting for someone to find the office. Um, and I'm going, that was the craziest thing I ever did. Now, the reason I ended up there was um, because of Fred Dickinson, who's not here, uh, not in the room right now, but I, I, I owe so much to Fred Dickinson. He trained me in warfare, and my wife, she used to be with me all the time when we did deliverance, and Fred was my mentor. That when I was in trouble, and you, you, you get situations that are not in the book, you don't know what to do, I could call Fred on the phone at Moody, and no matter how busy he was, he would make arrangements where I could find out, what do I do now? And I'm so thankful for Fred Dickinson and his touching my life and another person I want to ex express gratefulness for is probably one of the most godly men I've ever known, Mark Bubeck. And even working with Mark, I thought, did I make a terrible mistake? Because nothing is happening. You know, it's just nothing. I would sit there for days and nothing. And I, I can't say I cried out to God, but I did pray. And God began to open doors for us that were totally unbelievable. One was opportunity to address 40,000 pastors. After that, the phone rang. Um, <clears throat> because 40,000 pastors represent 40,000 churches with lots of people in them. And um, the ministry was wonderful. God opened doors for me to speak to congressmen, senators. I've led a number of them to freedom. Uh, I just can't imagine. I can't tell you all the doors that God has opened. And uh, we were, my wife and I were looking, and we figured out that this year, just before this year, the end of this year, they were able to minister to over 500,000 people face-to-face. -face. And it all started sitting in an office with nothing was happening. And, um, but in the process of all of that, I don't know if this is something that's typical when you become mature, um, and mature is somebody that is over 60, <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> or, or whether that somewhere along the line in that whole thing, um, there are, I mentioned last year, or two years ago, there were three phone calls that changed my life. But there was another call that changed my life that was not an outer call, it was an inner call. And it was God. And um, God looked at my busy life and superficial involvement with him. It was like, I'll get out there. I, I have horrendous energy. I took one of our counselors with me, and we were counseling young people. And I mean, he's young, and he cracked out. And I'm still going, it's midnight. And I'm going, he's going, I can't go with you anymore. I said, wait a minute, you're young, I'm old, you know. But I don't know, I, I was ADD, I think, as a kid, and hyperactive, and God knew what he was about because I needed to be that as an adult in, in the crazy situations we find ourselves in. You know, as God began to speak to me and calling me into intimacy, I, I said, well, you know, I, I devote, you know. I just felt, well, you know, I'll do, and you guys pray, and, you know, that kind of thing and it just wouldn't fly anymore. And I began uh, a pilgrimage to develop intimacy with God. I'm not there, I'm a long ways from it, but I'm further down the road than when I started. And I also know that none of my counselees 
I've counseled hundreds of missionaries. I've counseled major Christian leaders. If I told you their name, you know who they are. Not a one of them had in, an intimate relationship with God. Not one. If they did, they wouldn't be for, coming for counseling. And um, I happen to like Calvin Miller. Now, I'll qualify. I don't like his trilogy, but I'm not into a long poem that's in a book. Uh, but everything else, Calvin Miller writes to my heart. And um, Calvin Miller made this statement. I was reading one of his books. I think it's called Into the Depths of God. And Calvin Miller said this, I've often wondered why God gives a special hunger of himself to some while others seem not to own it. And I pray for myself that I'd have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that could never be filled. That I would I'd never be satisfied. Being around Mark Rubick, I knew I had a long ways to go. Um, and I know he doesn't like that, but you just have to be around him. I mean, you heard him. And uh, another thing he said, we'd like to appear to be like Jesus without the discipline of really being like him. And um, I would like to share with you um, on PowerPoint, Lord willing, if everything works. If it doesn't, I'm through. We'll just have a prayer. Uh, <clears throat> um, but I would like to share with you um, some things that as I began to pursue, I began, the, the scripture says, they that walk with wise men are wise. And so I thought, what I want to do is to get in touch with people that I know how to really walk with God, read their lives, read their books. And all of a sudden, there was a lot of commonality, whether it was a second century Christian, a third century Christian, or Tozer. You know, it was amazing that they all found certain things that I think can be very helpful. So I'd like to share with you some of the things that I found. The first thing were the three habits of the Lord Jesus. And you have that in your notebook on page something or other. Um, the one thing that Jesus did, we see, he stood up and he read scripture as was his custom. Remember, he read Isaiah and so on. See? And he read the word of God by habit. Now, that's something that I did. I happened to go to a Bible school. Thank God for it. And in that Bible school, uh, they were so pushing the Bible that another seminary in the Southern California called that Bible school Bibliolaters. But I'm so thankful for the drivenness to Scripture. If there was anything that school did is get into the Word, read the Word, understand the Word, read the Word, into the Word. Second thing that Jesus did, he went out into the mountains to pray, as was his custom. And each of the Gospels, the first time he goes, what happens? They couldn't find him. Where is he? Where did he go? I mean, here is the Son of God. What was he doing? Prayer and solitude was the habit of the Son of God. So you see, I began to realize there's certain things that I was going to have to develop in my life if I was going to have the relationship that God seemed to be driving me to. And then Jesus taught them again, as was his custom. And what did he teach? He taught the very things that he had found in spending time in the Word, and in solitude and in prayer. He shared from that with those. I know the danger of PowerPoint is going too fast. If I go too fast, just throw your pens at me. Expensive ones, please. <laughs> but it's so, it's so much easier to push a button than any other, any other way, and, you, and people get frustrated. I don't want to frustrate you. Um, but we've got a lot of stuff to cover. Now, our three habits that I need to develop, and this is E. Stanley Jones that came up with these. Anything profound that you hear today is not original. 
The first habit that I, as a believer, need to develop is what? Reading the Word. Our son went off to uh, a Bible college, and uh, he picked it because it was conservative. And if you came to our home, there would be this beautiful picture of our son on the coffee table and roses and a whole pile of letters, you know, with the ribbon around it. It was a shrine to Richard. And you came in, you said, you must really loved your son. We said, oh, we loved him dearly. He's very, very special. He was very special. I told Richard at 14, I never believed that God would give me a son as wonderful as he was. And, um, and you, you're, you're caught up and you're saying, look at all these letters that your son sent you. We said, yes, we love him a lot. And then you looked, and none of them were open. God has written a love letter to us, and some of us have never read it all the way through. I think the least we could do in ministry is at least read the Bible through once a year, at least once a year, from cover to cover. Read it through. There's portions of Scripture. I'm in Ezekiel right now. And if I want to get edified, I don't go to Ezekiel. You know, the wheel spinning and all this kind of stuff. Um, uh, it's just not a place I would go. And so what, I, what we can have a tendency to do is go to our favorites, right? Just, you know, s- stick in the favorites, but not read the whole thing. Um, I want to encourage you to read the Scripture. Stanley Jones said, no Christian is sound who is not scriptural. And I'm telling you, that if there's any ministry to get off into goofiness, it's in deliverance. They get off into weirdness. And the thing that will keep you from going there is what? Getting back into the Word. Getting back into the Word. I read the Bible through and I marked every reference to angels and demons. I wanted to see what God said. And if I didn't understand, do some Greek word studies. I didn't want to end up passing rattlesnakes and drinking poison. That was my concept until I met Fred Dickinson. Then I knew it was true. <laughs> Dear Fred. I like to get him into the front row now. <laughs> The second habit I need to develop is private prayer and solitude. I don't know if you ever tried the solitude. It's very difficult when you're people-oriented and noise-oriented. We are spiritual as we are prayerful, no more, no less. the tremendous things that God began to challenge my heart with these godly men of the past that were challenging me to know God in a way that I had never known him. The third habit that I need to develop is to pass on to others what I got from the Word and my time alone with God. Share the insights from the Word and answers to prayer. As I began to read, I began to read the modern writers on prayer and godliness. But then I started going back. Reading third century Christians is not necessarily easy. Someone needs to translate the English into English. Um, The books are thick, the print is small, and the, the sentences are a paragraph long. And I'd read a chapter a day because it was good and would keep the devil away. It wasn't like, this is really interesting. I had to force myself to read their lives. Lives of men in the past and some of the women in the past that touched the world significantly. As I began, ooh, that shouldn't have showed up. Uh, What popped up here? Uh, We just put it all together. But as I began to read, I had a lot of disjointed ideas as I was jotting them down. And um, this formational prayer was very, very helpful. The golden triangle literally is the triangle of the Christian life. Everything to develop godliness and closeness with God will fit on this page. You're going to have a hard time because there's a lot that goes on this page. But all of a sudden, this is by Dallas Willard. He didn't do the triangle, but 
I took what he said and, and, and diagrammed it like this because it made sense. So all the things that we're going to see here have to do with a spiritual life and walking with God. First of all are the classical disciplines. And you'll find them. I mean, just read the books. You'll see these disciplines in these books that these men that tell you to pursue God and pursue holiness and to know God and all of that are listed in the classical discipline. The first is solitude. It's very hard to meet with God like here. I mean, we can in a corporate worship, but really to meet with God with, you know, everything going on, there's so much distraction. And with solitude is silence. I didn't think I'd ever get there. Did you ever try to quiet your mind? It's full of noise. It's full of stuff. And I almost gave up because my mind is always racing and I'm going, God, is isn't going to work for me. And he said, Logan, just hang in there and keep trying. And now I can silence my mind so quickly, but I never thought I could be there. Because God speaks in a still, small voice. And it's later on, but I just thought of it, so I'm going to say it. Do you know what the first act of God was? He spoke. You know what's sad? There was no one there listening. And I believe God can speak today. And are we in a place where we can hear him? I'm talking about another chapter to Revelation. I'm not talking about that. Fasting. Some of you are not able to fast. My wife is not one, uh, having hypoglycemia, which has been under control for a long, long time. But fasting, she does do it, but she pays a price. Some of our diabetics, and God understands that. But maybe some of you can. I fasted this morning. The devil pulled me to the donut table, and I'm looking more like a donut, and I walk right by it. You know, you look like what you eat, and they didn't have any long johns, you know. <laughs> And worship, we did that this morning. But private worship, just worshiping God. And then celebration with other believers. I just, uh, I'm reading a new book on worship. I wanted to share it with uh, one of the pastors here that I know. I just started it, and it really thrilled my heart when I read it. And he said, sometimes in our worship services, we forget who we're worshiping. It's all directed towards me, not towards him. It's a very interesting book. And solitude and silence really equal listening to God. That's where he speaks. If you've never done it, it's, it's not easy. But don't give up. Listening... Reading the Word of God, God can, and I'm going to give you a little Bible study at the end that, that has been used since the third century in a, a way of formational Scripture reading. The second is praying Scripture back to God. I'm sure you know somebody who prays Scripture back to God. If you didn't, you do today. If we ask anything... According to his will, what? He hears me. And if God hears me, then I know what? That I have what, I'm, what I've asked for. And I have, in my studying and reading and collecting of books, I have five or six books on how to pray scripture alone. That books are, that's all the books are about. And so out of those five or six books in your notes, we put things in there, like one is how to pray the Psalms back to God, how to pray this, how to pray that. It's, it's in that first section. We stuck it in there, and those are from five different people of different ways of praying Scripture back to God. If it's new to you, there may be some helps in there, because I took just, you know, how they said to do it. It's a three-column thing. You, you'll see it. I didn't put the page down, but uh, we need to be more scriptural and biblical in our praying. And praying scripture. And the Psalms is a beautiful thing to pray back to God, as, as Mark did. It lends itself to prayer. The third area is receiving scripture. So reading, 
praying and receiving. The third, or the second major aspect here on the spiritual life is I have to have an interaction with the moving of the Spirit of God. As I'm waiting upon God and I've got an open Bible and God is directing me and God is speaking to my heart and speaking to my life, I have to interact with what he's telling me. And sometimes it's this. I resist it. I don't want to do that. Beloved, I'll tell you this. It's all right to wrestle with God, but don't walk away from him. Wrestling means what? My will's not there. This seems too difficult. This seems too hard. But it's okay because I'm still interacting with him. I'm not saying I'm not listening. You know, God, get out of my life and so on. We've had people for counseling and ask God to get out of their life. In a sense, he did. As far as a sense of his presence or direction or whatever. Something else started giving him direction. The second is disobedience to what I know clearly, but God is speaking to me. The third is repentance. How do we discern who ought to come for counseling? I get how many calls I got last year. I know uh, a conservative number would be a thousand people that called that wanted to come here to see me, let alone everybody else in our office, at least a thousand. Um, how do you know out of that? I look, are they repentant? Are they coming because their wife's going to leave them? That's not the best reason for coming. Because they're doing it what? Not to get right with God, but to get right with their wife, that kind of thing. And I'm not going to spend a whole week trying to convince them they need to get right with God. Um, I had a medical doctor call me a while back, not that long ago. Just took a pistol out of his mouth and he's going to blow his brains out. And his life had come crashing down. Even though he had just about... The only reason he didn't kill himself is because of his children. You know, all the guilt that they may have. But he could see no reason in going on. His life had crashed terribly. And, um, but I sensed in his voice repentance, and it was wonderful. We had a wonderful week with this fellow. But he couldn't sleep. He could not sleep at night. And I happened... We don't have any of the, the CDs here, but I happened to have the CDs of the Chris sisters playing harp music. It's one of the most beautiful, melodious CDs I've ever heard. I play it every night. Um, and I gave him one of those, and he went to across the street, he stayed at the Best Western, went across the street to that, um, you know, that drugstore, got a continuous playing, and he played that CD that night, and it's the first night he ever slept all night long as they were playing the harp. And these girls, Heart. You look at their faces. You can see Christ in these two sisters. They've played at warfare conferences that I've done. In fact, I was sort of dumb. I said, do you both have a harp? You know, and this is the gold thing and a huge old monstrous thing. And they said, well, we really don't. We got this one on sale for $24,000. I said, well, I guess one between two is fine. <laughs> but these girls are committed to the Lord, and you can tell they're playing the harp out of a pure heart. People said, when I listen, I don't know those girls but I know their hearts are right with God. I can tell the way they're playing. You can just sense. It's a, it's a, I can maybe put it at our desk where you can get the, the tape from these girls down in, uh, out of Dallas, but it is just a very beautiful tape. But repentance is so important if we want to help somebody. They may not be totally repentant, but they're on the road of repentance. And then submission to the moving of God. God, I submit to this. You know, um, when I left the mission to come to Sioux City, my mother was horrified because they moved us kids out of North Dakota when we were little and to get away from the weather. <laughs> and so here's her crazy son moving back to his roots. <laughs> she just couldn't believe that. But I thought, it seems so dumb to move here. And yet I knew that God wanted me to come. And I share with thousands of teenagers and college students every year 
I don't know how many thousand of them. And they always wonder, how do, you do, how do you know when it's time to move? And what God has always done for me, number one, he put an unrest in my heart. The unrest did not make sense. I mean, here the ministry is going and going and going, and yet there's that unrest that's in my heart that somehow, and every time I've had the unrest, something happens. And um, it gives the unrest, and then we get a call. Now, we get a lot of calls to leave. In fact, I don't think Nancy DeMoss is in here, but just maybe a year ago, a year and a half ago, they, the, the group she's with asked me to leave and head up their, their brand new beautiful center of counseling that was a retreat center for executives. And the director said, if we fly you down here, Jim, you've been to, I've ministered there numerous times. They said, if we fly you down there and you see this place, you will come, no doubt. And I said, then I'm not flying down there. Because <laughs> God hasn't called me to leave. You know, and it, it, so not every, t I don't say, you know, every time someone calls, says, you ought to be here, you ought to be there, you ought to jump. And then the other thing I want is confirmation from the Word of God that this is what God wants me to do. I call it a rhema from the Word of God. And it's no doubt, not only that I had the unrest, not only that I had an opportunity to go, and we came up and met Mark and Anita, I think we stayed in your house, or we stayed with Chandra's or whatever, and, you know, and saw the office, and it wasn't impressive. I mean, the, the, where I was before was a, a square mile of property with a lake and, you know, an uh, unbelievable building, 120 employees in one building, training people from all over the world all the time. Our office was kind of a letdown. <laughs> so it wasn't choosing with your eyes. You don't know what I'm saying? You choose with your spirit. And uh, so submitting to the word, to, to God. But if God's calling, you say, God, clarify for me. Give me, because there's always the leeks, onion, and garlic routine. I don't know of any person that hasn't gone through that. Because it isn't like what you think it's going to be. It never is. Even retirement. Faith. Faith requires a warrant. Faith without a warrant can be presumption. And the warrant to me is what? The word of God. Noah didn't build a boat because he was proving to the neighbors that they could have a bigger one than the Joneses. The reason he built a boat is because God said so, and we know he had faith. Why? Because he built it. I love the faith chapter because the actions of the people were based on what? What God told them. They did what he said. And God said they were people of faith. Can you imagine your husband coming home and telling you you're going to move? Let me imagine that. And then you say, oh, that's wonderful, that's thrilling. Uh, where are we going? I said, I don't know. We're just moving. And most wives would say, when you get there, would you send me a postcard? <laughs> but Sarah went, didn't she? You know, we need to read the people in the Bible, like they were real people, and wives were real wives, and guys were real husbands. You can really identify and think, man, I don't think, I think Sarah had much more faith than Abraham. And you know what wives are like. If you're single, you don't, but if you've got a wife, you know she wants to know things, most of them. You know, a little something. Um, more, you know, and, and he said, honey, I know you want to walk and you want to go. And I know the problem is the pizza with the onions last night. <laughs> That's why you got that thought. Obedience. See, I'm going to step out. I'm going to be obedient to God. I know God wants me to do this, and I'm going to do it. Colossians 1.11 is a very interesting verse. Uh, a good friend of mine who is now studying... I can't imagine, I mean, I can't, ima I can't imagine all the fellows I know that are studying at the University of Edinburgh to be ministers. It must be a, uh, a wonderful place. That's where, you know, uh, uh, Clinton Arnold wrote his doctoral thesis. So it's amazing the fellows that are going to, to Scotland for school. Number one, it's very reasonable. It's a very beautiful country. And this fellow, uh, who, his dear, dear friend, is over there now, uh, uh, just a natural linguist. And he wrote me a letter, and he said, do you know that there's a verse in the Bible, and it's the only verse in the New Testament where all three Greek words for power are found. Power, 
empowered with divine power. And then at the bottom of the page, he said, why is God giving us all that power? And he said, don't turn the page. <laughs> you know, and you think, well, so I can do deliverance ministry, or I could be a missionary, or a pastor, or whatever. No. It's so that we'll patiently endure with joy. We need this, don't we? We need to claim Colossians 1.11. Oh, God, help me to patiently endure with joy. Many people are enduring, but they don't have patience. And there's absolutely no joy. And ask God to do that. In our times of things, there can be frustration. Trials. There are unbelievable trials if you go into this ministry and you need to know that. I know a dear couple that have paid a tremendous price for their warfare involvement. Number one, by their peers being attacked. I was speaking at that Bible college, and I was asked to speak on a certain subject, and a dear friend of mine was the head of the missions department. And I went to speak. Now, the way they did the missions in those days, they didn't tell the students where the, who the speakers were. So they had no idea. But you stay in the dorms with the guys, and I knew a lot of guys at this particular school, and they got the word out that I was going to speak on warfare, which is something that a lot of people in that particular school were not excited about. And... Um, as they moved into this large room, there wasn't enough room for the kids. So I had all the fellows stand up and let all the girls sit down. And then they, I was standing against the wall. I couldn't get any further back. Kids are right in front of me. And they were sitting on the floor. And they stood in the hallway outside of both doors. As, as, and I talked as loud as I could they could hear. What I didn't know was this friend of mine's major enemy was introducing me. Of all the people to introduce me to these students, it was the wrong guy. And uh, I spoke. God moved in an unusual way upon those students. And this guy was behind me. I didn't see him. The wall jogged in this particular room. And he was back here. I didn't see him. I'm glad I didn't see him because he was getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And when I finished, he shouted out, don't listen to him. What he's telling you is wrong. And he also said, this friend of mine, what he teaches in this school is wrong. And it was awful. And I'm going, oh, you know, what do I do? I couldn't, you know, I couldn't run out of there. There was kids all over the place. <clears throat> it was a real awful experience, but it backfired on him. The students reacted so strongly to this man and his attitude that they came by the droves to comfort me, how wrong it was. And um, this couple that have gone through more than I'd ever want to go through and have been one of the forerunners in the conservative camps in the area of um, warfare are here, and it's Fred Dickinson and his wife. They have suffered a lot. So encourage them when you see them. So if you go in this ministry, realize there's going to be a lot of frustration and a lot of trials. You need to be sure that God is calling you, or you won't last, you won't stay. You'll just drop out. i got some dear friends right in the front row here. They've gone through stuff. I know they've gone through a lot of stuff. They've got really neat kids except one, and he's dressed right there. No. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> but, I mean, I know some of you. I know what you've gone through. I know the price you guys have paid. And so if you're wondering, 
you better be sure you have the call of God into this ministry. And you'll stay there. Because the attacks come in ways you never expect. Never expect. That's what makes trials. What hurt David the most? Not that he was wounded. But he was wounded by friends. And he was wounded in the house of God. Temptations. The enemy would love for us to get involved in areas of our life that are not pleasing and, and honoring God. And you will meet the tempter many times. Jesus did. The very Son of God met the tempter. You'll meet him too. So frustrations, trials, and temptations is a part of developing godliness. It'll be there. And we can face them daily. Not all the time, but sometimes it's like, wow, I just don't know if I can handle this. And if you don't have a prayer life, you won't. Formation prayer. This is all about. I read this word formation. I had no idea what they were talking about. I knew it was something I needed to do. What are they talking about, formation prayer? What does this mean? It certainly seems different than just praying. So often in the older books, I guess it was terminology that everybody knew, but they didn't explain it. Like, I write down these things. As I read another book, they'd say something, and I'd write it down. See, formation prayer, what they're talking about, it's the type of prayer we form spiritual habits. It's going to involve solitude. It's going to, in silence, you can all, when you see solitude and silence, they both go together. The dying to self. A lot of you have read that marvelous book, just outstanding book on warfare called Reclaiming Surrendered Ground. <laughs> but anyway, in that book, uh, you remember I was discipling a baseball player, a major league baseball player, asked me to disciple him. And he had a dear wife. I've kept in contact with that family ever since I left teaching in that Bible college where I met this fellow. And it's so interesting because I'm not a baseball player. You know, I, I, I never went to the games. One day he said, how come you never go to the games? I said, my friendship with you is not so I can sit. You know, I wouldn't pay for to go to a baseball game. But, you know, so I can sit in your free seats. He said, we have five seats, you know, behind home plate every night that are empty. Why don't you use them? He says, Jim, I never would ask you to disciple me if I thought you were interested in me as a baseball player. I said, I know, I'm interested in you as a person. And so we would go and Richard would invite kids in the neighborhood, and I became one of the most popular kids, because, uh, popular dads, because we'd go to the baseball, and he'd have all the players of that team sign their autographs on the baseball, and all the kids wanted to be Richard's friend. So he'd go to free games with us. But his wife would say this. She said, oh, Jim... I'm just trying to find myself. Remember when that was real popular at one time? I just got to find myself. I just got to find myself. I, I, I love her dearly. Uh, I would take people by their house not knowing that there we could stay any time or whatever. She's one of these people that, you know, two more for dinner, just two cups of water and the soup. I mean, just that's all it was. It was no big deal to her. She's very uh, flexible. Um, some wives, if you bring strangers to dinner, you're liable to get the soup in your face. <laughs> you know, that just is not their thing, you know, bringing strangers in. But anyway, she was saying this to me and saying this to me and saying this to me until I had it up to here. I don't want to say their name. They may hear this take one day. But I said, let me tell you something. When you find yourself, crucify it. You cannot live for Christ if you're not willing to die to self. And I can tell you, I've never had a counselee that was dead to self. They're very much alive to self and pretty dead to the Lord. They're doing what they wanted to do, doing that which felt good and causing so much havoc. And then surrendering to God's will. As God reveals it, I surrender to his will. Now, if you'll turn your page. I've read this 
Lecto Divina. I'm not sure I even say it right, but that's how I say it. That's at least a Western pronunciation of a Latin word. I read it all over the place. No one ever explained it, but, you know, people were doing it. And I thought, how in the world did you do this? It, it sounded, it made sense. I tried to figure it out, and thank God someone figured it out for me. Lecta Divina is, the other word is divine, or it should be divine reading. Literally what it means, divine reading. It was started by Benedict. I have a Benedictine prayer book. I've read it all the way through. Uh, I didn't know what Benedictine monks prayed until I got their prayer book, and I read it. You know what they pray? I was shocked. They pray the Psalms. They pray 150 Psalms a month. They pray through all the Psalms every month. That's what they pray. You know, they pray seven times a day or whatever it is, and they just pray the Psalms back to God. But Benedict realized, even though they were copying, a copying scripture and praying Psalms, their lives were not being changed. And that bothered Benedict. You know, all exposure to scripture, but their hearts were not changed. And so, literally, I, I believe probably the father of this little simple thing to do was Benedict himself. Um, now, what is the difference between informational reading and formational reading? Informational reading, now we're not saying one or the other, it's both, absolutely both. Formational reading without informational reading, you're going to end up weird. Informational reading without formational reading, you will end up intellectually, biblically intellectual, but possibly very cold in your relationship with God. Um, when um, I was asked to, to teach at one of the Bible colleges that I taught at, the big question was, could you train young people in a Bible college that would graduate spiritual with a hunger? Because a lot of the philosophy is you know more, you'll be more. If you know more, you do more. And yet Scripture says knowledge, what? Puffs up. Could we have a Bible college that the emphasis would not be on knowledge but be on wisdom and the character of the students in that school, in its sold. That wasn't the purpose. The college was about to close, doubled every year after that, the attendance from a school closing to we didn't know what to do with kids. Where were we going to put them? We had to start buying buildings to stick these kids in. And parents were pushing the school because the kids were calling home asking their parents forgiveness. They began to see some of these very biblical things in their lives because the emphasis of the school was on the individual lives of the students as well as their head. Okay. See, informational reading seeks to cover as much as possible. You know, get one of the Bible reading through books or, you know, uh, Bibles or whatever. Neil Anderson is going to have his Bible here. We're not going to tell uh, Brother, um, oh, what's his name that just hates that, um, down in Lincoln, Warren Risby hates Ryrie's Bible, <laughs> Logan's Bible, <laughs> Sam's Bible. He's going, Bible. <laughs> you know, he's a dear old, dear old brother. <clears throat> See, in uh, formational reading, you focus on small portions of Scripture. Listen, it, it, it's literally, how do I take that small portion of Scripture and make it a part of my own personal life? Um, it's a linear process, line upon line and so on. Oops, pushed the wrong side. I gotta get rid of this somewhere, you know. I don't want to end the show. <laughs> Maybe I can move it all the way off. What do I do? What which one do I push? Where's escape? Oh, I was afraid the platform would open up and I'd go down. <laughs> you know, and heaven forbid this may have been used by Baptists and I end all wet. <laughs> you 
You know, this is supposed to be serious, people. <laughs> this is an in-depth process. I can't tell you the people who have been thrilled as we've been able to give. This is not for a new Christian, and it's not for a demonized person. There's a lot of danger in this if a person is demonized as, as we get into how to do it. This seeks to master the text and do all the homework you ought to do, all of that. But formational reading allows you, allows the text to master me. I want this to become a part of my life. Informational reading is a text as an object to use, and that's really dangerous for a pastor. I've been one. Oh, this would be really good to preach, you know. Remember, uh, Aunt Sarah's going to be here. Boy, she needs this, you know, and I'll dump this on her Sunday night or whatever. And uh, we can get into that, where we see the text for everybody else and all of that. And this one is, the text is a subject to shape my life. It could be an analytical, critical, judgmental approach to Scripture. Humbling, detached, willing, loving approach. I talk and look at the clock and I want to push the button faster. The idea is sort of a problem-solving mentality as I approach the Word of God. And the last one is open to mystery. Now, mystery bothered me. Uh, the very word mystery bothered me because I hadn't looked it up. I thought, mysterious? You know, are we getting into, uh, you know, spookiness or whatever? But you have a definition of mystery. You don't have to go to it in your book on page one. Uh, but it says, mystery in the New Testament. This is from uh, Vines, uh, Exposed Objection New Testament. Mystery in the New Testament. It denotes not the mysterious, as with the English word, but that which being outside of the range of unassisted natural apprehension. It can be known only by divine revelation. It is made known in a manner and at a time appointed by God to those who are illuminated by the Holy Spirit. Explain salvation. Explain how when I knelt by my bed with a navigator, and I asked the Lord Jesus to come into my life with no church background at all, because why would an unsaved person go to church? It didn't make sense to me. And when I got saved, it wasn't during the Jesus thing, you know, where everybody was in the Jesus stuff. And when I got up from my knees, I wasn't the same guy that got on my knees. Now explain that. Well, that's a mystery. It's God's working where you can't shake it up and, you know, and lay it out. It's just the way God works. Now, I'm, you've got this prayer, but please, until you, if you've never been quiet before the Lord, you need to pray this prayer, and it is on page 35. I'll just put it up. By the authority, I mean, you could write any prayer, but it's asking God's protection, because when you want to meet alone with God, and you want God to speak to you, beloved, realize demons can and there have been many people that have been deceived by the enemy by religious spirits. And demons can speak in a still, small voice, and they can bring scriptures, and they can do a whole lot of stuff. And I need God's protection. When I meet with God, I don't want the enemy here. I just want to meet with God. I want God to have the freedom to lay anything on my heart he needs. By the authority of the Almighty God, I surround myself with the light of Christ. I cover myself with the blood of Christ. And I seal myself with the cross of Christ. And all dark and evil spirits must leave now. No influence is allowed to come near me, but that which is first filtered through the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray, amen. Richard Foster. I love Richard Foster's reading. If you read some of his, his books, I, I enjoy Richard Foster very much. But this prayer is very important as we go into the lecto issue. Uh, did come up divine reading. 
And we're going to walk through that. Divine reading, first of all, involves scripture. We need to select a verse or two, and we're going to work out two of them for you. I hope in the 10 minutes we have left. Select a verse or so and record it here. You know, you're reading and say, this verse is so important. It really speaks to me. I really want to work on it. So I need them to begin to read that scripture over and over. You know, it's very outstanding. It's speaking to my heart. So I'm reading this passage several times, this verse several times. Then the meditation is reflecting on the words, phrases, or images that seem to stand out. What is God seeming to be really speaking to me from this portion of scripture? Then prayer. What I'm going to do is to internalize that scripture and pray it back to God. Oh, I thought you just wanted closeness. <laughs> uh, adoration or confession or renewal or petition, intercession, affirmation or thanksgiving or combination of those things can be involved in that prayer where you're praying that scripture back to God himself. And then contemplation, and this is where it becomes dangerous for people that are, that are not mature or are demonized. And contemplation is where, and there's material in contemplation in, your, in, in the notes I gave you. What word or image captures the spirit of the passage for you? What is it that you want to think about? What is it about that you want God to speak to you about? And that's what makes this whole thing different. You know, present yourself before God in silence and yieldedness and just allowing God to speak to your heart about that very thing you prayed about. Sometimes he does. Sometimes if he does, sometimes you don't hear it. Sometimes there's nothing. And then return to the spirit of the passage. If you find yourself, you say, God, am I missing something here? Is there something that you want to share with me about this? Now let's work this through. So we're taking a scripture now, and this was one that I picked to work out for you. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Psalms 25, 14. It's reading the Bible that really spoke to me. And so what I did is I kept reading this through. I would either, with a color marker, I would underline the words that were there that spoke to me. What are the words in that passage that were very, very strong and spoke to my heart. So as I read it over and over, I began to underline these key words. The first word was secret. What does that mean in the Hebrew? I'm not sure what that means, but it sounds kind of neat. What is fear? And then the third one was covenant. Those are the three things for me that in that passage spoke to me. And I knew if I was going to make this a part of my life, I really needed to know what those words meant. So I could really, some people don't want to go this far, but I think it's, it's very helpful if you do, if you have any kind, if you have a Zodiades Bible, and he has a lexicon in the back, he has the strong concordance in the back. So one Bible, you got everything. You know, you can look it up and, and look to you get your words. Okay, now as I begin to meditate on this, I can't meditate on secret if I don't know what it means. I mean, I really can't set my mind on just a word that I have no idea. Okay, so uh, this is where we, I looked up the Hebrew definitions of these key words. So I'd really know, before I prayed this back to God, what it was all about. Okay, the first word is secret. Now this is not a definition that we put in here, but it, the first definition, I've shared this with our guys at the office on our Thursday morning prayer thing, the word secret means pillow talk. That's the first meaning, pillow talk. Um, interesting, isn't it? It also means a friendly conversation amongst friends. It also means confidential speech. That means that that which may be shared with you is not to be shared with anybody else. It's something that God wants to lay on your heart, something God wants to speak to you about, but it's for you and you alone. Because what's pillow talk? It's the kind of things that wives want to do when husbands want to go to sleep. It's that intimate time together. That's what God is saying. Now, the emphasis is on confidentiality. It marks the difference between the word secret 
and the more general word, advise and counsel. I thought, wow, God has secrets. That really excited me. I love secrets. I can hardly wait to share them. <laughs> okay, the second word, because we've got to do both of these. We only have five minutes left. We have another one I'm going to work through. The word fear, what does that mean? Fear, if one truly recognizes that God is all-powerful, this will reflect in his attitude and daily life in the form of reverence. I thought, what a beautiful definition of fear. I know you're going to get a little bit upset, but talk to Dan afterwards. The last one was covenant. I mean, you can put the words down and look them up yourself. It's a contract with a sacrifice and a solemn oath. It's something that seals the relationship. Many Christians today, what are they doing? They're having and looking for covenant marriages. You ought to look at that if you're a pastor. What's the difference between you know, a marriage ceremony and a covenant marriage ceremony? And do the people getting married, do they realize that they're ending into a covenant relationship? It's very, very important. You're going to see a lot less divorces. The promises of blessing for obedience and a curse for disobedience. And this is the prayer I wrote to God. This is my own one I did. I have, I do this at least one a week. God, speak to me in the secret place your secret thoughts. I may not be able to share with anybody or any. And help me to honor you with reverent living. And I'll pray that prayer all week, that scripture. I'll pray it back to God all week long. This isn't how many lectos can you do, you know, how many of this can you do, you know, in a week's time. The thing is what? The purpose of this is to allow Scripture to change your life. Allow Scripture to do a work inside of your life. And then the last one was contemplation and the thing that I contemplated that God can share secrets. That's just real matter. The sad part is, how many years did I waste? How many years that I got involved in serving God in ministry, but not waiting on the Lord? And I realize now that service can flow out of what? Waiting on the Lord. Spending our time with Him and let the service come out. Um, this is the the last one I share with you, and this one, I can't go in detail. I wish I could, but I want to share. This is, this one is another one that thrilled me deeply. Jeremiah 17, verse 5, skip verse 6 and verse 7. Thus saith the Lord God, Cursed be the man that trusts the man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departs from the Lord. But blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord, and it's who, whose hope the Lord is. Now, if you read verse 6, it says that the man who trusts in himself or in his own strength and his heart is departed from God will be like around the Dead Sea. His life will be like a desert, dry, barren. He will not see when good comes. But he said the man who trusts in God and whose hope the Lord is, this man will be like the trees planted along the Jordan River. They will never see when the heat comes. When the drought comes, why? Because they're close to the source. So the two key words here, obviously, would be cursed. The other one would be blessed. Am I right now being cursed? Or am I being blessed? And what does curse mean? 
The word curse, there is a definition I'd like you to write down that isn't on here, I believe. It means to be hemmed in with all kinds of obstacles. A meaning of that word. I believe there are 13 Hebrew words for the word curse and nine Greek words. But it, different words. And the second meaning is to be rendered powerless. The power of God comes off the life. It's just not there. Because why? Where's this man putting his trust? In his own mental abilities? In his own strength? Or in people? What is a blessed man? What does that mean? Blessed there in that Hebrew word? I love this word. It means to be endued with power for success. Isn't that beautiful? See, either I'm what? Being depowered or I'm being endued with power. In contemplation and your own prayer there, um, let me get this thing off. Somewhere. Here we go. End of show. <laughs> We're back again. Um, you know, when someone says, God bless you, what are they saying? Literally, from what we just saw, may God endue your life with power for success. Don't use it as a cliche. We need to bless one another, don't we? And I'd like right now to ask God to bless each of you. Let's bow in prayer. Father, you know who's here. You know what's going on in their life. There's some here that are hurting, maybe physically. There's some who have pain in their emotions because of loved ones that have turned from you. Father, you know exactly, and I ask right now, Lord Jesus, that you would bless each and every individual. Father, I bless them in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I bless the married couples here. I ask your blessing upon their marriage. Those that are in ministry, Father, I ask that you would bless that ministry, that you would endue that ministry with power for success. And Father, thank you, because you tell us that as you bless us, we can return that blessing in the form of praise and thanksgiving. And so, Father, thank you for hearing our prayers this day. And, Father, may this week be blessed. May each presenter be blessed. And may those who sit under these men and women of God, Father, that you would bless them through the ministry of your word and through the lives of those that are, will be teaching us this week. We ask all of this, Father, that you would be glorified. In the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.